are live at a hockey rink in July. Let's do it. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd and the voice of the Canucks, Brendan Batchelor, here with you. We are live at Canucks Prospect Development Camp uh, here at the Doug Mitchell Thunderbird Sports Center out at UBC. The defensemen are on the ice. We'll get into all of that first. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. AvenueMachinery.ca batch, especially when it's pretty warm out outside. Nice to be keeping cool here in a rink in the middle of July. Yeah, I pulled my parka out for the first time in a few months because I knew we were going to be in a rink. And generally speaking, having been at development camp here for a few years, it's extra cold in the rink to counteract the fact that it's extra hot outside. So I'm bundled, I'm warm, and uh, the prospects are on the ice here. It is underway. It is underway. It's the defenseman on the ice first, which means first look in Canucks colors for the other Elias Pettersson, of course, the third-round draft pick uh, from this most recent draft. And as you pointed out on Twitter, you know, a big mystery solved. He has an E in front of Pedersen on his jersey. So even though EP40 is not here, they're still trying to uh, make sure we don't get confused about which Pedersen is out there. EP32 here. EP32, yeah, he's wearing the number 32. Uh, So, look, we'll we'll talk lots. It's exciting to be here. The defensemen are out there now going through some drills. Ian Clark's been working with a couple of the goalies. We expect the forwards and Jonathan LeCaramacchi to be out around 11 o'clock. We're also expecting uh, to have some various Canucks personnel come join us at the table throughout the course of the show. Another special two-hour edition here of Canucks Hour. But I will say, and we kind of go through this every year, and I know there's an an endless appetite to say, how do these guys look? How are they doing? For the most part, they look like they're going through drills, right? That's that's generally what's happening here. So, you know, unless something really, really notable happens... I get it. You want to text in, you want to ask, but that's probably going to be our answer, Batch. They look like they're going through some drills. Well, yeah, like the defensemen came out here, and the first drill they did was a skating drill that resembled something that you would see in like a seven-year-old skating lesson, like (laughs) where they're doing the wide stance back into a a shorter stance. And now they're doing some, you know, two-on-o transition drills with some shooting. But generally speaking, yeah, you know, these camps are great. Uh, for these prospects to get out here, uh, to show what they can do for the hockey operations staff, uh, to get familiar with the Canucks as an organization and what's going to be expected of them going forward. But in terms of breaking down uh, a player's game based on watching him go through some skills drills, that's that's not my forte. Maybe no. there are some other people in this rink that could do a better job of that than I can. I see uh, Chris Faber and David Quadrelli are both here, so you know they'll have a lot of the the minutiae covered. But otherwise, yeah, we're in a hockey rink, and there's some good-looking hockey players doing some drills and shooting some pucks. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. And, you know, I think from an organizational perspective, and we'll get into this more later in the show, but I think the big thing here is just to build some familiarity, right? More than any of the actual on-ice stuff, it's building those relationships, setting expectations, and getting people kind of a feel for the uh, organization and, and starting to build those relationships that can pay off down the road. And, of course, with the Canucks, you know, bolstering their development camp uh, or their development staff, I should say, in the last couple of months, it's a good chance for everyone just to kind of build some of that familiarity. So we'll, we'll, get you, we'll keep you abreast of all the latest developments here at Prospect Development Camp at UBC. But we did want to start 
Where else? Where else could we possibly stop the, start? <laughs> We're the still show? talking about it. We are it. still talking about it, Batch. I had my fingers crossed that maybe one way or another we wouldn't be still talking about it today. But of course, we are still talking about JT Miller. And hit us up, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Your thoughts, questions, your feelings, anything related to JT Miller or anything else, Canucks and Prospect Development Camp specifically. But, I mean, there was a moment where. On Thursday, it really felt like a deal was imminent, and we you know we heard the reporting from Friedman and Irfan Gafar that maybe something was in the works uh, with the New York Islanders, possibly relating to JT Miller, possibly not. That's all kind of shrouded in mystery right now, and we can talk a little bit more about that and what we think actually happened there. But, I mean, just your reaction in general, Batch, to the fact that JT Miller is still a Vancouver Canuck and still no signs that an extension is imminent between him and the club. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's, you know, everybody to your panic stations yet with the JT Miller situation. But what is clear is the draft passing is an opportunity to make that move that has now passed. Now, you know, there's there's still plenty of time here. As we keep hearing from the organization, they're not in a rush. They don't feel pressure. Um, and, and we got into a lot of this when I was on the show with you last week talking about um, just in, in general, you know, whether they could go into next season with him or not. Does a deal have to be made now? And no, it, it doesn't have to be made now. They're not under that sort of pressure where, say, he's it's not like Johnny Gaudreau where you're trying to sign him or he's going to be a pending UFA uh, in a couple of days here or, or anything like that. But we had talked about the fact last week and i still believe it to be the case that moving miller now is preferable to having him start the season with the hockey club for so many reasons and you know maybe the deal won't be there now and and you've got to work with the the cards you're dealt and sometimes you don't get the hand you were expecting and that could very well be the way this offseason plays out for the canucks management group with the jt miller situation but the one curious thing for me and you know we've seen reports about this is the report that the deal with the islanders may have broken down because the canucks were not willing to give them permission to speak to miller about an extension now i understand elliot friedman's been talking about this Uh today and that's a situation where uh teams haven't been allowed to speak to miller yet but maybe you know that could change i guess we'll have to see uh but now you sort of have to turn your focus look it didn't happen at the draft you can't change that uh the islanders moved on they they went and acquired alexander romanov from the montreal canadians but now the potential leverage that you could have this week is a team that doesn't land their big fish in free agency or loses a big fish uh, heading to free agency like the Calgary Flames may be set to do here with Johnny Gaudreau. So, you know, is it a missed opportunity? Certainly. Uh, there was an opportunity to move him at the draft. It didn't happen. But it doesn't mean that you can't move him, that you can't move him for an acceptable return. And I guess we'll just have to see how the next 7 to 10 days play out in that regard. Yeah, the the report, and so Friedman reported on Friday that whether or not it had anything to do with talks breaking down between the Islanders and the Canucks, and we should point out that the official line, publicly at least from the Canucks right now, is we weren't talking to the Islanders. There was nothing brewing there. There was nothing close, certainly. 
And what Friedman said on Friday was, look, maybe that didn't have anything to do with talks breaking down, but word is out there that the Canucks aren't letting teams talk to JT Miller about an extension. Now, I saw a lot of reaction, and you know, even talking to people, just my, my friends and whatnot over the weekend, saying, what the heck's up with that? Why does that make sense? Aren't you trying to facilitate a trade here? The word from Friedman today was that might have been the case, but that's something that could change, and that's something that could change perhaps in the coming days as we at least near you know the opening of free agency that maybe the Canucks will start to let teams talk to JT Miller about a potential extension and you know just trying to puzzle through all of the different reporting and the lack of information here and what it could mean I doubt that they were just about to consummate an agreement and then all of a sudden the Islanders asked to talk to JT Miller about an extension and that's why it fell through at the last moment that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me because if you're the Islanders why would you wait till that late in the process to, to make that request? Isn't that something you would do early on? And so I wonder if maybe what happened was as simple as a phone call, hey, we might be interested in a JT Miller trade, but will you let us talk to him before we begin negotiations? And if the answer was no, maybe that's maybe that's where things stopped. And I think that could kind of account for, you know, the different reports we're hearing that maybe there were some conversations, but they didn't get far and, you know, they won't let people talk to him. But it's also the kind of thing that's, shrouded in mystery right like I, I i'm not sure we're going to get a definitive answer here batch about exactly what happened with the islanders and jt miller well and to me the most interesting part of this conversation isn't what happened between the islanders and the canucks the question is why why would you not want to allow the islanders to speak to jt miller about a contract extension and you know i heard the guys on the morning show talking about this on my way driving in here to the rink sticker shock could that be a legitimate reason that the ask from jt miller at this point is so high that the canucks don't want the islanders or for that matter any other team around the league understanding what that price point could be because if that price point is say much higher than any of us have projected or estimated then that limits his value in a trade there's no doubt about it and i think the other and it's related to that batch is if you just make it open season, and look, anyone can talk to JT Miller about an extension in this process, and you kind of allow that to be a baseline for even going down the road of talking to another team, you're almost giving JT Miller a de facto no-trade clause, right? Because let's say the Islanders pick up the phone and call JT Miller's agent, and the answer is, well, we're not signing an extension there. We don't want to be in Long Island. Well, that that's... That's giving JT Miller a ton of power over the proceedings. Now, I mean, he does have well, a certain degree of power over the proceedings, doesn't he? Ultimately, there might not be a way around that, right? Yeah. That might just be the reality, and maybe that's what Friedman's alluding to, that, look, at a certain point, you just kind of have to give in to that, and you have to acknowledge that JT Miller does have power. But I wonder if that's the thinking, right? If you allow these teams to talk to him about an extension, are you just basically giving JT Miller too much control over the process? And I think the other thing is, does it – as you said, the sticker shock element, and if you're just trying to keep as many teams involved as possible, I, I understand the logic of at least trying that gambit, right? At, at, at the draft, especially. Because let's say they were talking to the Islanders or any other team, right? And, the, you know, the draft is coming up and maybe a first-round pick is in play. Do you really want to be sitting on your hands waiting while that other team goes to negotiate with JT Miller, right? And maybe you're trying to work on other things, and then, you know, it's 45 minutes and you haven't heard back, and okay, what's going on here? 
that's a tough position to be in. So I, I understand the position, especially at the draft. I understand it to a certain point. You're trying to retain control over the process. But I also wonder that if there's going to be a breaking point here where you just kind of have to say, okay, look, you can talk about an extension well, with somebody. That's a, that's a pretty good point, too, because, you know, we were hearing rumors about this trade potentially being consummated. What, like midway through the top ten in the I first think round? The, I think it was actually just before the draft really started, right? It was like, I think it was before the first pick was made, was when it just first got out there. Okay, so, you know, the Islanders had pick 13. Let's say that that pick was going to be involved in this trade. We don't know this. We're speculating. Uh, it's July 11th. It's what we do at this point of the summer. But um, so you're gonna you're gonna consummate a long term extension with JT Miller in what an hour? Yeah, maybe less than that before that 13th pick has to be either used by the Islanders or moved. I, I, that's unlikely to me. I mean, maybe these negotiations can go faster. Uh, than than either of us understand. I'm not in the room. Uh, I've never been in the room for that. But, you know, that is a good point, too, that if you think you have a deal and then the other side says, well, okay, we want to negotiate an extension with him first, when there's an hour on the clock. The draft is about to start. It's like, no, 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 we need to know now. we got to get our ducks in a row. Because we have to figure out, are we drafting at 13th? Are Mm -hmm. we drafting at 15th? Are we, you know, maybe if you get that 13th overall pick, you have that 15th overall pick in play for a, another subsequent trade. Look, we saw what happened, uh, you know, with with the Canadians ultimately turning that pick into Kirby Dock. Like, this is how fast things can move at the NHL entry draft. But I, I guess the upshot of all of it is, regardless of what did or didn't happen, it's another critical date on the list that has now passed by. And we're seeing it in the text inbox. Pressure starts to ramp up on this management group. And, you know, they haven't been in power for very long. For the most part, uh, the moves they have made have been universally praised, whether it was the Mott trade or the Hamannick trade or, you know, signing Kuzmenko. But all of that put aside, this management group is going to be judged in this market by this fan base on how they come out of this JT Miller situation and they're not out of it yet, so it'll be interesting to see if something moves this week. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Brandon in Vancouver says, this management will make the right choice and eventually move off from him, but I'm starting to doubt they'll get the deal they want, and he'll be back for at least a large section of next season. But at that point, have the Canucks already lost the deal? I I think we're a long way from looking at this and saying he's probably going to be back next year or to start training camp, right? Because – Yes, the draft, huge date on the on the summer calendar. We all understand that. But so is the opening of free agency, right? And so are the first few days of free agency. So we, I think, are still going to see a lot of movement league-wide this week. And that could very, very easily include a JT Miller deal. If, if it's Monday next week, Batch, and we're still kind of sitting here status quo, well, then I think it's fair to wonder, you know, are we looking at training camp? Are we looking at beginning the season with no extension in place and JT Miller on the roster. I think that becomes a fair conversation then. I don't think we're at the point where that's the most likely outcome just yet. The other interesting point that Brandon makes is, are they going to be able to get the deal that they want for JT Miller? And at a certain point, does the ask have to come down slightly? And I I do wonder, you know, you look at what Chicago got for Alex DeBrinkett. Probably less than a lot of people around the league were thinking. For a 40-goal scorer in this league. Who's 24. Yeah. (laughs) 
I mean, and they got basically one first-round pick, a second, and a third. Now, the reason I think Chicago does that deal is because they were extremely high on Kevin Kuczynski, and they could use that pick to go draft a guy that they absolutely love. And I wonder if that's what it's going to come down to here for the Canucks, right? If there's that one piece that you absolutely love, okay, maybe the rest of the deal isn't as, you know, incredible as some fans have have hoped and maybe that we've speculated. But if you can get that one elite piece that you absolutely love, sometimes that's what it comes down to for teams. I think that's what happened with Chicago. And so the overall return doesn't look great, but they're happy because they get their guy in the draft. And I kind of see where Brandon is coming from. Maybe the overall package won't look as incredible as we thought it might, you know, in January and February when JT Miller was torching the league. But if you get that one piece that you truly believe in and you think is kind of a franchise elite building block, I'm okay with sacrificing the overall package a little bit there. Well, and the thing I wonder, too, is how much different will that package look now that this trade, hypothetically, is going to be made after the draft, Mm -hmm. right? Because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we say the 13th overall pick was in play by the Islanders, well, that has passed us by. And correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, but the industry believes that next year's draft is a much stronger draft year than the one that just passed, which means teams are going to be much more loath to part with their draft picks, especially their top-end draft picks. So are we looking at a trade now for JT Miller that is more of a, maybe not a one-for-one, but addressing a need on your roster in that trade rather than a futures trade? And that's, that's what I'm interested to see is, okay, maybe you're not getting uh, a first-round pick in the JT Miller trade anymore. Maybe you are. You know what? Maybe you can go and get a, a pick from a team for next year in that first round, in which case the value might be even higher than what we saw in a Debrinket trade if, if you believe that next year's draft is going to be as strong as a lot of people think it is. But, you know, rather than making that trade, opening up cap space, and then trying to solve some of your other issues in free agency – is it more of a scenario where maybe you're trading JT Miller and you're getting that right shot top four defenseman back in that trade rather than acquiring futures assets? Well, I think the other thing is if you're getting a 2023 pick, I, I think teams are virtually every team is going to require at least top three protection on that, right? And that's Connor Bedard, uh, Mitchkov, and Adam Fantilli at the top of the draft. All I think seen, and again, I'm not a prospect expert, but my understanding, obviously we know about Connor Bedard, but I think the other two guys seen as potential franchise players as well. True franchise, like number one quality pick players at the top of the draft. So I think you can get a 2023 pick, likely, from some team that expects to be a contender, but I think even those probable contenders are going to say, you know what? Just in case things go really, really pear-shaped, uh, we're going to get a, a top three protection on that. You never know. And, hey, if they could ever get an unprotected or, you know, even just a top one protected pick, that would be truly incredible, a truly incredible feat. But I'm not necessarily expecting that to be in the offing, given, as you said, uh, Batch, the strength, the perceived strength of next year's draft class. We will continue to chat about the JT Miller situation, bring you the latest updates from Canucks Prospect Development Camp. Look back at the draft as a whole for the Canucks a little bit beyond just whatever happened with JT Miller. Uh, Continue taking your text as well, 650-650. Lots of good feedback coming in that we'll get to throughout the course of the show. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd. And the voice of the Canucks, Brendan Bachelor, here with you. Drance off today. We expect him back 
later in the week, certainly as we approach free agency, as we hit free agency opening on uh, July 13th. We expect Drance back to get that all broken down for you. Uh, Batch had this question uh, come in from Mike H. Which coaches are on the rink with the player? And there's a lot. Because <laughs> as we mentioned, the Canucks have bolstered their player development staff, so I can't really give you a full rundown. We saw Mike Komisarek, who's a new ad, and as you would expect, the defenseman's still on the ice. He's out there uh, working with them as a former NHL defenseman. And I did notice, and I think the highlight probably is uh, both Henrik and Daniel Sedin out there fully participating in drills with the players. And we know that's going to be part of their new role with the team, really focusing in on player development. And, I mean, man, not bad for, you know, if you've just been drafted, if you're Elias Pettersson or, you know, Jonathan Lekermacki will take the ice a little bit here, guy from Sweden who just got drafted, and you get to come on the ice with uh, – Daniel and Henrik Sedin. Not, not a bad situation to be in. No, and uh, the prospects now are uh, working through some stuff with skills coach Yogi Shikovsky, so he's out there as well. There's probably, I don't know, there's almost as many coaches as there are players. There really to be are honest. a like, lot of coaches. There's at least seven or eight guys in, in ball caps not wearing gear out there on the ice with, I don't know, what, 15, 20 players probably somewhere in that neighborhood. So, um, you know, Ian Clark is here as well, was out with working with the goaltenders before the, the defenseman took to the ice. So it is all hands on deck for development camp with, you know, as we discussed earlier, an expanded development staff. Uh, Ryan Johnson, I think I saw him out there at some point as well, maybe. Uh, maybe not, but anyway, yes, there's there's lots of coaches, lots of things happening out here at UBC. Yeah, it's one thing to read about all of the new additions to, you know, the coaching staff and the development staff, and then you, you see it on the ice. It's like, wow, that is really <laughs> – they've got a lot of people working uh, in this department. So as we see other names, and maybe we'll have a chance to talk some other names uh, later on in the show as well, we will get you all your updates from Prospect Development Camp here at UBC. There's Chris Higgins out there as well, I believe. There you go. Uh, yeah, for sure. So we'll, we'll get you covered on that. But as we mentioned uh, in the first thing, we were talking about JT Miller. We'll get back into that. We have some audio from uh, from Friedman and Merrick to play with you from the latest 32 Thoughts as well that shed some interesting light on the situation. But, you know, now that we've had the weekend to kind of digest the draft, we've all got our cell service back. So we, we've been connected and able to read up <laughs> on, the, uh, on, on everything that happened at the NHL draft and every, everything from a Canucks perspective. I wanted to just take a moment here and just kind of sift through our, our overall reactions from a Canucks perspective to this year's NHL draft. And it, it was a really interesting one, Bats, because there was so much hype. And then it, right at the start of the proceedings, there was the rumor with the Islanders and, oh, my goodness, could something major be happening here? Could this be kind of the moment we're waiting for? It doesn't happen. And then the rest of the draft was really chalk for the Canucks. I mean, they pick at 15. They, they made the rest of their picks. Didn't add any, didn't move around the board, and I love the Lucker and Mackey pick, right? I think that's a home run, high upside, best player available. He's got a chance to be a star. You get that at 15, you take that every time. I think that's a great pick. And I'm not going to evaluate the rest of the picks because I'm not a prospect expert. But I do also understand if fans just feel a little bit of a letdown that it went completely in an expected direction, right? No moves. No added picks, no player trades, nothing. Just the six picks that they had. Look, maybe the right, the right trades weren't there. I get that. I'm not trying to slam, you know, the management or anything like that. But I do understand from a fan's perspective kind of waking up on Monday morning and saying, oh, you know, I was hoping for a little bit more action maybe. Yeah, well, and I think this kind of 
goes to the conversation we had last week about, you know, what would surprise you with the Canucks offseason. And if you had told me at the end of the regular season that we would go through the draft and be two days away from free agency with no notable roster movement at all, I mean, they signed Kuzmenko, but no one has left this roster. They have not traded anyone away. Uh, they extended Brock Besser, okay. so he's coming back. I, I, that would have surprised me. But here we are, and, and sometimes things don't work out the way you were hoping. Look, this is a management group that has talked about moving cap space. You know, uh, unless I'm forgetting something, to me they've they've moved out a grand total of $1.5 million in cap space, which was the Hamannick trade and then acquiring Dermott. Uh, there was a, a $1.5 million cap difference in that deal. But, you know, otherwise for, for a management group that wanted to make big changes, that has been involved in this JT Miller trade saga and the rumblings around it for a while, um, not a lot has happened. So from a fan's perspective, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people expected a lot more and are disappointed that more didn't happen. Um, But sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles, and I guess we'll have to wait and see if this week is more eventful than last week for the Canucks because the other interesting part about this week ties into what I was talking about with cap space is they haven't moved any cap money out which means they're not going to be able to spend a ton in free agency. So either this has to be a very busy week where there are trades to free up cap space so there can also be free agent signings, or there is a very real possibility that this week is incredibly quiet too, and maybe we're sitting here in 7 to 10 days going, wow, they went through the draft and they went through free agency, and not a whole lot has happened. And not that I necessarily expect that, but... You know, as we sat and talked about this last Monday, to me that is a much more real possibility seven days on than it was this time last well, week. Well, right now they're sitting with uh, just over two million in cap space, two point one four million in cap space, and obviously if that's the situation, and you know that's with a couple RFA's like Yuho uh, Lamico and Matthew Highmore who haven't been haven't been signed now. There are things you can do to to move pieces around and open up a little bit more. You know, some of that will depend on. Uh, Tucker Pullman's status, he's on IR. You can still. go over the cap a little bit you in go, the summer, yeah. right? So there are things you can do, but it also illustrates your point, right? This is not a team right now that's set up to be major players in free agency. And for me, you know, I'm not – I was never really expecting the team to go chase, you know, like a Nazem Kadri or, or somebody at the top end of free agency. I just think the money you would have to move to make it make sense is just so extreme, and it's so hard – to open that up in a short period of time. But I think, you know, you'd like to be in a position where you can make a few interesting bets at the lower end of free agency. And, I mean, as we, we're, we're getting used to this every year, but today, later on today, I believe at 2 o'clock Pacific time is the deadline uh, to offer qualifying offers to RFAs. And, you know, already some interesting names who aren't getting qualified, right? Danton Heinen, of course, local kid who had a pretty decent year with Pittsburgh. He's not getting qualified. Reports are out there. Uh, Nicholas Abe Kubel from the, the the Stanley Cup champions. You know, we saw what he could do in a bottom six role with that speed element that we know Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin prioritize. There's going to be interesting names that are still there on you know day two, day three of free agency that might be interesting fits for the Canucks. But to make a bunch of those bets, I do think you still have to open up a little bit more. You know, salary cap cushion as Jim Rutherford has talked about repeatedly and. 
sure, you can probably do a little bit of that with JT Miller, but let's not forget, he's still only on just over $5 million this year. So that's some, but doesn't it feel like there still has to be one, two, maybe three moves beyond that to really open up meaningful cap space going into this offseason? It does, and, and you know, let's be frank about this. That may just not be possible in the climate that this management group is working in, which is, you know, the, the flat cap era in the NHL, you look – uh, you know, there's a lot of teams that don't have a whole lot of cap space, so it's it's not like you have a long list of people lining up to take your bad money in trades, right? Like it's 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 not as simple as oh yeah, just trade Tyler no. Myers and lower your ask a little bit. Like that's not necessarily how this works. Well, and a I lot think, of other teams are trying to clear cap space too, right? Oh, that's exactly. the name of the game right now. Exactly. So you know, if you're if you're one of those teams that is willing to take on money. You're in the driver's seat here where you can command assets in, in trades like this, right? So, you know, if, if they don't want to give up assets to move off some of the money, it's going to be hard for them. And I think, you know, as much as the pressure is on this management group to make some of these moves, and rightfully so, it wouldn't it wouldn't be accurate if we didn't also point out that they aren't the ones that put themselves in this cat mess, right? They have inherited this issue. And, you know, uh, Jim Rutherford has a long track record in this league. You know, Patrick Alvin is is highly thought of as a first-time general manager around the league. But both of them have made no bones about the fact that moving cap space was not going to be easy. It was going to be difficult. And to get some of the things done that they wanted to get done this offseason – was going to be a challenge. I just wonder if that challenge is even greater than maybe they even estimated when they arrived. Well, and you look at a player like Tyler Myers, right, who's kind of a favorite to wonder if they can move him because you open up such a big chunk of cap space if you do that. I mean, I wouldn't give up a meaningful asset to move Tyler Myers. Like, he played top four minutes. He played shutdown minutes for this team. And And there's a big hole on the right side of the blue line if you do move him away that you have to fill. And maybe that means there's no market for him right now and, and you can't make that deal, but... Well, maybe there's a market for him at the deadline. Maybe there's a market for him next offseason. And I would rather hold now and see if that market develops than give up a decent asset to try to take that uh, – for, for a team to take that money back. Because, again, this is not an offseason where we're expecting the Canucks to go add an impact top-of-the-lineup player in free agency, right? So, it's yes, you want to – free up that cap space because it opens up other possibilities and you know hey maybe the Canucks could be a team that if they did have enough cap space would say hey Philly we'll take James Van Rienseich from you if you give us something in return hey Florida we'll take Patrick Hornquist from you if you give us something in return there's the possibility for them to put themselves in that position but it's not a desperation scenario where it's oh man to ice a competitive team to ice a team that can win the Stanley Cup we need to open up all of this cap space like some of the other teams uh, are thinking right now. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. JFID makes a good point he, here. He says, is it just me or is Miller, or My- Miller, Myers, Pearson, etc., other teams plan B or C? They might need time for the big fish first. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it, right? Because we had that conversation with Miller, right? If you're a team, let's say the Rangers, and you strike out on Nazem Kadri Or Johnny Gaudreau or whoever. whoever. Then do you turn your attention to JT Miller? But the same thing could be true for a guy like Tanner Pearson, right? If you're trying to add, you know, somebody on your third line who can move up in a pinch, who's, you know, a a veteran player, defensively reliable and all that, and you don't get your target in free agency or they're too expensive for you in free agency, well, maybe you turn your eyes to Tanner Pearson or maybe there's a deal 
to be worked out there. So again, it's I, I get it why there's the sense of oh man, nothing happened, nothing happened at the draft. The offseason's not even in full swing yet. Free agency hasn't opened. There's going to be a lot of teams looking to tinker with their roster still. Well, and, you know, talking about the moving off of, of cap money right now, I think a perfect example of how challenging that might be is to look back at the Oilers and the Coyotes trade for Zach Cassian, where the Oilers traded a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and a third-round pick if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Now, they got a first just slightly back. back yeah, so return. they moved down three picks in yeah. the first so, round. And they So they moved down. They also gave up a second and a third yeah. to move off of Zach Cassian's money. So that's moving down in the first round plus two more assets to get the Coyotes to take Zach Cassian's contract. So, you know, Tyler Myers is a right-shot defenseman. He will be a more prized possession in the trade market than Zach Cassian was, certainly. But, you know, that's kind of the climate that this management group is operating in right now. Yeah, and that's why you really want to find either... Like, Tyler Myers is not a cap dump. That's what I mean. You're not going to give... You're not going to pay a team to take Tyler Myers. If there's a team that thinks he can fill a hole for them on the right side, that's awesome. If there's maybe a hockey trade to be had and you take back somebody who also has a little bit of money left on term, but you think you can you can work with them and maybe it still frees up a little cap space, that's the kind of deal that would make sense. This isn't going to be a, you know, a Peter Morazic or Zach Cassian trade where you're purely giving up assets uh, just to get Miller, or, or excuse me, not Miller, uh, Tyler Myers off of your salary cap sheet, right? No, because but it, but it does illustrate it's hard to do. That it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. And I think maybe, who knows, if, if somebody, you know, strikes out in free agency, they don't, because let's face it, the right shot defenseman market in free agency this year is not that attractive. There's John Klingberg, but if you if you lose out on that, you know Crystal Tang is off the market. If you if you miss out on John Klingberg, there's not a ton of really interesting names that are out there. So to JFID's point, maybe maybe Tyler Myers could be Plan B at some point in the summer for one of these other teams. And that's the problem with this scenario, though, is if those guys are plan B or C, then great, you get to move them out. You don't have them anymore, but then you've missed out on free agency where you could replace them. That's so, true. Um, you, you get all that cap flexibility, and, you know, cap flexibility is still king right now with the way that the marketplace is in the NHL. Um, you know, if you can go into the season and have some some room it allows you to make trades it allows you to be a team that maybe offers to take on a bad contract here or there from other teams and you know you you build assets that way and maybe that's a way you can help to restock your prospect pool um but if you are plan b or plan c for some of those moves yeah you still get to make them but guess what anybody that you might have wanted to sign in free agency could very well be off the board by then 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in about the Canucks offseason and how they're positioned going in to free agency. It's on Wednesday, of course. You'll be able to hear full coverage here on Sportsnet 650 all day on Wednesday uh, in your home of the Canucks. I mentioned it uh, earlier in this segment. Of course, we talked about it off the top of the show, the JT Miller situation. And on the latest 32 Thoughts, you know, Elliot gave a very brief update on Friday, which I thought was fantastic, just saying, give me a couple days while I dig into it. Uh, on the latest 32 Thoughts, which just came out this morning, Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick had a really interesting conversation, partly about the specifics of the JT Miller situation with the New York Islanders, but also just in general, the dynamics of having a player who's eligible for an extension that you're also trying to trade and how that can work with other teams. Here's the conversation from 32 Thoughts. 
with Miller, at that point in time, I don't think Vancouver had given anybody permission to speak to Miller. And so that was Friday night, and I got a call today, and someone said, don't hold – So it was true at the time, but there are some indications that that may change. Now, I don't know the timing. I don't know if it's happened yet. I don't know if it will happen. Like, I don't know the timing, but someone said to me today, don't be so hard and fast anymore that Vancouver won't give permission. It was true at the time, mm-hmm. but they think there's a point here and they, and they just wouldn't tell me when that that could change a little bit. So we'll see where this develops uh, over the next week. One of the things that I think it's important to do on this podcast is sort of point out Reason things that might be obvious to longtime hockey fans about, say, for example, Elliot's talking about how, you know, um, the Vancouver Canucks won't let a team like the Islanders talk to JT Miller mm-hmm. about an extension before coming a, you know, uh, arriving at a deal. There's a number of reasons for that, but the one that I've always, uh, held close to is it puts too much power in the player's hands. And if the player doesn't want to go there, why would you allow him to talk to that team, give a ridiculous number, and therefore kibosh the trade? That is, agree, disagree, the most obvious reason why in some situations you don't let the player talk to the other team. Mm-hmm. You don't want to, you know, essentially what you're saying is I don't want to surrender any power in, a, in, a, in any type of trade. That is true. I, I think there's definite truth to that. I was having some conversations about people about this over the weekend. I think there was, Nobody would confirm it to me, so I'm not going to say the player. But I think there was one recent case where a team was getting close on a trade and they were given permission at least to speak to the player and they were only given permission for a certain amount of time. Like the the team said, I will let the other team and the talk to the agent for 24 hours. And you have a time window to see if you can get a deal done. And sometimes simply the team that's acquiring you, they don't need to get a deal done, but they'll say to you, if we acquire this player, mm-hmm. what are we looking at? And maybe they'll give you a range. And that's kind of what happens. But you're right, Jeff. There are teams that will look at it and say, no, we don't want you to do that. Like I said, I'd heard on Friday by that time, The Canucks hadn't let anyone talk to Miller. I don't know as we tape this on Sunday that they've let anyone talk to Miller. But I have been told that don't be so. That is Elliot Friedman and Jeff Merrick on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast. You can check out the entire podcast at sportsnet.ca or wherever you get your podcasts. And interesting reporting there from Elliot Friedman that as of Friday and maybe even up until last night when they were recording it, the Canucks hadn't given any team permission to chat about an extension with JT Miller, but as you heard there, he got word that that's something that could easily change. And, you know, Jeff Merrick kind of echoing what we were talking about earlier in the show, where if you do allow that to just be kind of your de facto answer, yeah, sure, you can talk to him. You're just allowing JT Miller to have so much control over the process. And this is a fascinating situation for so many reasons. I think One of the reasons is how much influence JT Miller can exercise, despite the fact that he doesn't have any formal no-trade protections, right? He doesn't have an NTC. It's just his willingness to sign an extension is going to have such a big influence on whether a team wants to trade for him. And I think from a Canucks perspective, what you really want in order to maximize your leverage and your ability to get a return here, 
you need teams, preferably plural, more than one teams that are comfortable trading for JT Miller basically as a year-long rental, right? Teams that are in their competitive window, that are trying to win the cup this year and are comfortable saying, we're going to get this guy. We're not going to wait till the deadline when he would be a a typical rental. We're going to get him now, get him in our program, have him at training camp, and maybe we can extend him, maybe we can't, but we don't care because we want to go right now. If you don't have that, then JT Miller controls this process to an alarming degree. And maybe that is the way the process will go because as much as you're right if you have a couple of teams in a bidding war for a pure rental that's going to drive his value up but you know it's common sense to say the most value you can get in a jt miller trade is for a team that will be able to sign him long term because they would be willing to give up more assets you would think if they have certainty that he's not just going to be the one-year rental that he is going to be there long term and they can get him signed to a number that that makes sense for them um so it, it is a fascinating situation it's not as cut and dry as people would like to believe where it's just look he was a 99 point player last year great player there should be a long list of teams that want to sign him uh and you should be able to get a king's ransom for him well clearly that hasn't been the case i don't imagine it's going to be the case and, you know, it, it sets up for uh, an interesting week here, to say the least, if not longer, depending on, on how these <laughs> proceedings carry forward. Hopefully not longer, Batch. <laughs> how long have we been talking about it? Six months? Seven months already? Oh, my goodness. We're going to – oh, dear. Well, let's not think about that. <laughs> let's think about how it could be uh, – uh, resolved one way or another. And look, when we say resolved, I mean, we mean an extension as well, right? Like, that, that would be a resolution that would be really interesting to talk about and give us uh, give us a fascinating insight into where the team's going. We're not begging for him to be traded. It's just, yeah, it would be, it'd be nice to know exactly, exactly what's going on. Uh, this text came in as well that said, unsigned, but the right to talk to JC's agent is part of what you would be trading for. So why would Vancouver allow them to decide on the trade by knowing if they'll be able to get an extension? And I think that's part of part of Vancouver's thinking here, right, is, hey, yeah, you want to talk? Great, make the trade. Then you'll be able to talk all you want. You'll be able to have all the conversations you want with JT's Miller's agent. And I think, really, you just need, because if it's only teams interested that want to sign him, that are only going to do it if they can sign him to an extension, right? If that's the only class of teams that are interested, then JT Miller can basically call his shot, right? If if that's all that's interested, that he can say just to any other team that he doesn't want to go to, yeah, no, sorry, not interested. You need at least, if you're going to maximize what you can get back, give yourself any sort of leverage here, you need that one team that is, hey, we're we're willing to roll the dice and take our, our chances with an extension later. We'll see if that team develops, if that team's out there now, or maybe they come, uh, it, it, they turn into that team if they miss out on their guy in free agency. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The defensemen are off the ice. The forwards are just coming onto the ice, which means it is the first time on the ice at official Canucks event uh, for the 15th overall pick in this year's draft, Jonathan LaCaramacchi. We'll tell you more about that. Lots more coming up from Canucks Prospect Development Camp here at UBC. It's Canucks Hour on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.